0: Trainual hosted a virtual event in 2020, centered around empathy in the workplace. This session with author and entrepreneur Michael Ventura speaks on exactly what empathy is, why it is today's most talked about competitive advantage, and the framework for how to train your team for it. The following segment is part two of four. So. You know, the, the book for anyone that hasn't read the book or seen it, it's very practical. There's exercises and it gets right to work on helping you work on this, this skill. Um, I want to start with the, 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 story in the book about, uh, about working with GE, because to me that, you know, when you think of empathy and working on this and, you know, that you, that you do this work, you would think you're, you're consulting people teams or, you know, you're teaching people right. to be better men, but I, very early in the book, you learn that this, this applies everywhere. So can you share the, the GE story, what you did with them?
1: Yeah, Yeah, sure. So,
0: so This goes back a few years ago, GE had asked
1: us to take a look at their medical imaging business. And that means everything from MRI machines and CAT scan and x-ray out to mammography and and, and the whole sort of suite of imaging products. Mm -hmm. And they said, we're third in category at the time. Phillips and Siemens sold more machines than they did. And they wanted to be first. They wanted to figure out a way to grow the business. And so they said, we think empathy might give us a window into seeing how to change this business. But we, but we don't know much more than that. And your job is to kind of run around and figure out where we might evolve our business using those sorts of insights that Empathy will help you derive. And Which, by the it, way,
0: sounds like the most fun job ever. I was oh, reading exactly. this and feeling like it, it's, it was like a school project that you just yeah, got it, to it, do whatever you want.
1: <laughs> it is. I mean, they're not always as open-ended of a brief as that <laughs> one. But that was, I mean, it really was a, it was a special leader at GE at the time who, who helped us really kind of dive into this. And they said, look, we don't want you to think about the whole imaging category because that's too vast. So we're gonna focus you in on mammography because we've got some good pipeline uh, products coming down, but um, you can't change the core product. The core product, if we came up with a better way to detect breast cancer today, it still would be seven years before it goes through FDA approvals and trials right. and gets into hospitals and impacts their bottom line. So focus in on MAMMO, five months, figure out how we can grow our business. And that was the brief. And we started to practice these things I've talked about. We have these different frameworks and tools and resources that we've developed as part of the Applied Empathy Toolkit, where we can elicit understanding from folks. And you know, 50% of the project team were men, and the 25% uh, the 50% who were women, 25% of them had never had a mammography themselves, right? So we weren't coming from physical, personal, one-to-one experience with this. And we went and talked with doctors and patients and cancer survivors, and we heard a bunch of interesting stuff. We went and talked with people who had never had one. We went and talked with people who were uh, afraid to have one because they had one and found out they had cancer and now they don't like going anymore because that memory of that is so much, you know, so much more significant, all of these different facets. And what we came to find was that even though the machine has a component that makes it sort of memorable for many people, 87% of the people we talked to, number one memory they have of the experience is pain. The way the machines work for folks who have never had one, is there's a panel here and a panel here, compression comes down, breast tissue gets thin, light travels from the top to the bottom, scans for cancerous cells. More complicated than that, but that's the high level. The, uh, the second biggest complaint that we started to hear from people, because we couldn't change compression, as GE told us, you can't change the machine.
0: Yeah. The second
1: biggest complaint, everyone said time and again, as we talked with people, the, rooms was, the room was just so cold. And we heard the room was cold we heard the turnaround time on the test takes too long we heard um you know i i uh just even the appointment making process is nerve-wracking the gown you know all of these soft science things all these things that surrounded the experience and so we started prototyping with them and tweaking them and changing them And we brought women back who had been screened 60 days prior and we screened them under new conditions. So we gave them a different gown that was designed to be a little more modest. And the appointment making process felt a little more, a little less, like you were kind of just herding cattle through a hospital, but a little more considerate of the fact that this is an emotional experience for these folks. And we were able to tighten the turnaround time so that your results would actually come back to you within 24 hours. But the most astounding thing was the temperature. So we asked GE, why is the room so cold? And eventually you get to the engineers at GE who dictate that. And the engineer says the average, uh, the optimal temperature for the lifespan of the machine is 64 degrees Fahrenheit. And so that's why the rooms are so cold. And we said, yeah, but 64 degrees is really cold. And these women are in these paper gowns. Maybe we could do something about that. What would happen if we increase the temperature of the room by 10 degrees? And they said, well, 10 degrees won't really have much of an impact. It's just not optimal. And so what we realized in that moment is that everyone was operating from their perspective. No one was taking perspective. No one was going into the shoes of the patient and saying, yes, but what could we do to make their experience better? And so now that we knew that it wasn't going to hurt the test to increase the temperature, we increased the temperature and did all those other things we said. We were able to cut the complaint of pain down by half once those people were given a better experience because psychologically it was less tiresome. It was less painful for them to go through it. But that wasn't the most astounding finding. The most astounding finding is we were able to increase the effectiveness of the test by almost 12%. And the Which reason incredible. I, yeah, it was amazing. And frankly, yeah. something someone else should have discovered long before us, I think. But, but, but what we came to find was why that happened was because when you're warm and you're relaxed and you're treated the right way, compression actually got the breast tissue thinner so it could find more cancerous cells. And so it was such a pleasant surprise that helped us understand that that perspective taking can genuinely shift whole industries. It can, it can shift the trajectory of someone's
0: life. Yeah. You know,
1: and that really gave us the courage and confidence to
0: practice this. What I love about that story and that case study is that when people feel like they're not empathetic, they're probably not thinking in terms of that sort of creativity of how do I talk to customers, understand a customer's experience? And if you can put yourself in your customer's shoes, that's what you need to do to innovate and create better products. And that is practicing empathy, right? Absolutely. So, so how do you recommend that people immerse themselves in something? Because there, there was another story in the, in the book about college students, you designed a course for Princeton and some college students were walking around town and, and really couldn't put themselves in a non-college student place. So, so what recommendation do you give for someone who is not their customer, can't identify with them? Yeah. So I think one of the
1: first things is those college kids, when they first went out, they practiced effective empathy. They stood across the road and they looked at people who weren't them and they assumed what the problems were of those people. And when they came back in and we told them to go back out and now go ask questions, go actually inquire, um, that's when the shift happens. So I think one of the first easiest steps, be the best question asker. Like really be unafraid to ask hard questions because those hard questions will lead to the kinds of truths that allow you to perspective taken away that you couldn't just by perceiving. So great question asking is a great place to start. Another is, we work with a lot of large organizations on how to train this into their culture. And one of the things that you have to do in order to do that is to change how people's measurements are actually, uh, how people are evaluated at the end of the year, right? So when you have your 360 reviews or things like that, are you including a measurement and a series of questions around how empathic is this leader? Do they have conversations with you? Do, do, do you feel like they connect with you? Do they, do you feel like they understand what it is you do? And so if you're not, If you're not tracking that, you're not incentivizing the right behavior shifts. And so a lot of organizations that we work with, once they shift the performance criteria, they see the uptick much faster versus just like standing on a stage and the CEO saying, we need to be more empathic. So there's a difference in sort of how the incentive structures are aligned.
0: That's such great advice. So in the book, you know, you've got so many questions. I think that was the one thing I took away as I'm highlighting, I highlighted probably a hundred different questions. I'm pasting them into our Slack channels and saying, we need to put these in the surveys. And so the quickest win I think for anyone here is if you're not asking questions of your employees, of your managers, of your customers, of just your vendors, of anyone that's in the ecosystem of what you're doing. Where can you ask more questions? Because mm-hmm. if you start to ask questions, like you said, you understand different perspectives. So I, I really enjoyed that. Now shifting a little bit, people um, I guess need to practice this themselves. So and part of what you recommended is this physical awareness of kind of stopping being present so can you share the story around that yeah so everyone thinks about empathy as a perspective
1: on someone else but the easiest person to practice on is the person you're with 24 hours a day yourself and so we developed a, a framework we call uh the whole self and the whole self has seven different selves inside it you can think of it almost maslowian in some ways right like we're kind of building up from a base into sort of more Uh, higher order aspects of the self. And we've developed a set of different questions and exercises and things you can do to tune into that. So like one that I do with almost every client, when we talk about all seven, the first and most fundamental is the physical self. How well are you aware of your physical body? So Mm -hmm. everyone who's watching, just for one sec, put both feet on the ground, sit up nice and straight in your chair, and just take one slow, deep breath, really inhale, get up to the top of your breath, hold it for a second or two, and make your exhale longer than your inhale, nice and slow. And now ask yourself, you can get comfortable again, ask yourself, when's the last time you took a breath like that? For some of you, it might've been this morning when you had uh, you know, a morning practice of some sort. For others, I did this at a workshop a couple months ago and a CEO came up to me afterwards and said, I don't know if I've ever taken a breath like that. It's (laughs) like, I'm just like panting my way in and out of conference rooms all day, just kind of in like a fight or flight mode. And, you know, and if we're not taking care of that self, well, then we're far away from being able to talk about our intellectual self or our mindful self or, you know, some of the other selves. So having empathy for our interior world helps us appreciate the complexity of the interior world of everyone else around you. We all have complex ecosystems inside us that we couldn't begin to understand because we barely understand our own, right? And so once you start to see that, it makes the, the practice of empathy that much more valuable.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to Organize Chaos. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review or share it with anyone in your network that you think could use this information. If you want to connect with me personally, please text me 480-531-8411 or connect with me anywhere on social at Chris Ronzio or you can connect with Trainual at Trainual just like a training manual. See you next time.